everybody how are we all doing this week it is a pleasure to be back talking with each and every one of you yet again what's new with me pretty much nothing i just finished up i know it's old news now but i just finished up my copy of the butcher and the wren an absolute outstanding read shout out to elena over at the morbid pod um but today i'm bringing you another episode of murder in the morning Hopefully it's an interesting one. If not, eh, fuck it. Uh, but I, I no, I really do think you'll enjoy this story. Um, I won't say it's any lighter than last week's episode on the Beast of British Columbia. But we don't have any children murders or sexual assault. And I think it's just a little bit easier to digest, even though it still might be a tough story. Uh, but before we get into it, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about a certain type of murder conviction, and that would be a, quote, nobody conviction. Not nobody, but a nobody. I mean, you understand. These are both rare and very challenging circumstances in some cases, even when it seems like all of the evidence is pointing to one answer. Uh, The biggest issue with these types of trials and cases without having body is simply proving the fact that the alleged victim was killed and isn't just missing. So you need to have enough cold hard evidence minus the body, of course, to convince jurors beyond a reasonable doubt that the victim was in fact killed, that we don't need to see their body to know that they are no longer alive. And this tends to be very tough to prove in a lot of cases. And even more so, it makes establishing a proper timeline a lot more difficult. There's no body decomposition, no rigor mortis to check. um, There's no wounds to uncover. And you can't look under the fucking fingernails for all that DNA that's hidden under there. So that's frustrating by itself. Completely kind of on accident, maybe subconsciously. Two weeks ago, the Katie Poyer, Donald Bloom kidnapping murder that I had covered, that was actually a nobody murder conviction, and he was sentenced to prison time. They had only partial bones and a few tooth fragments that were indicative of matching the victim, but nobody. Again, everything else had piled up, and the prosecution had enough evidence to end up convicting Bloom, even without this body. And another notable murder case that I would actually love to cover is the disappearance of Anna Walsh and how her husband, Brian Walsh, is now on trial for her murder, again, without a body. So I come across this when looking into how frequently these nobody cases occur. And although I couldn't find any specific number, um, I did find something pretty interesting forgive my pronunciation of this, but Tad DiBiase, a former federal prosecutor who specializes in these types of murder cases, he's published some research and he found that, quote, when nobody murder cases go to trial, they have a high conviction rate around 86%. 
By comparison, the national conviction rate for all murder cases is about 70%, end quote. I thought that was really interesting. Maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised as I was because it kind of does make sense knowing that you do need a rock hard case. You need that impenetrable proof even without a body. So I imagine a lot fewer of these cases actually make it to trial, but the ones that do are super duper strong. But why am I telling you all of this? Eli asked rhetorically, because as I'm sure you've guessed, today we'll Today, we will be diving into an elaborate story of a murder and very recent um, sentencing, actually, without a body. Another nobody murder. Shall we? All right. Saturday, July 18th, 2020. Back when we were all just little pandemic newborns. When we thought, oh, it's just going to be another couple of weeks, right, guys? Residents of an apartment building on Massachusetts Avenue in Washington, D.C. had found a seven-year-old boy crying and alone in the hallway of their apartment building. This turned out to be the son of Olga Oro. Again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. A 34-year-old woman. These helpful neighbors ended up calling the police, and when police came to talk to the kid, he hadn't seen his mother since Thursday night, two days ago. He told the police that his mother had gone out to dinner with her boyfriend that night, Darnell Sterling. So now, the investigators on the scene have what we know as a prime suspect, but at the time, they don't even know if she's missing. However, over the next few hours in talking to family, friends, and those same neighbors, police were quick to learn that this was not something she would do. She doesn't leave her son unattended for long periods of time let alone two full days. So immediately, they got to work, which is actually quite refreshing. We hear so often of police just waving off missing people because they are adults or maybe they're sex workers or simply of a different race. I don't know if it's because there was a kid involved, but it's nice to see that police here took this seriously and were very quick to help. So right away, Investigators tracked down this Sterling character to interview him, and almost immediately, they had their eyebrows raised suspiciously in his direction. Not only was his alibi and account of the whole night all over the place and quite contradicting, which we will get into soon, but he also had an alarming past. Darnell Sterling, who is now 57, has a history of domestic abuse. Oh, excuse me. I just hit my knee on the table. Only a few years before this, the same year they started dating um, in 2019 at that same apartment building in Washington, D.C., neighbors had heard arguing coming from their apartment and ended up calling the police. Olga ended up leaving that apartment that night with a bruised and busted lip. Although that may not seem like much in the scheme of things um, that we normally talk about, it's escalation it's that indication um, he's hurting her abusing her and trying to control this woman for an extended amount of time for years just a quick little tangent uh before we get into this ridiculous alibi of his but during this uh during the trial sterling's lawyer howard mckeckern he tried to play this incident off in 2019 of the busted lip like it was absolutely nothing. 
He said he believed that it is, quote, unlikely that an altercation of that nature occurred if neighbors never called 911 or reported it that evening, end quote. He then continued to say, quote, do not spend time on those red herrings, end quote. Like, you piece of shit. How is domestic abuse a red herring? How is getting hit in the face a red herring? It's a red, it's a red lip, not a red herring. We talk about escalation all the time, and it's just, it's a track record of that, of continued abuse. Okay, so the police now know that Sterling has not been a good partner. The, the police themselves have been called on at least one incident in the past. But what was his actual excuse for the night of the 17th, after Olga's child said that they went out to get to dinner together? Darnell stated that they did go to dinner together that evening, and while out, he suggested that afterwards they go gambling in Ocean City. According to Darnell, Olga had agreed, but first she wanted to go home, put her child to bed, feed him, maybe bathe him, and then get herself ready to go out. He continued to tell detectives that they went back to the apartment, she bathed, fed, put her kid to bed, and proceeded to get ready, but during that span of time, at some point, an argument ensued. According to him, Olga Olga <clears throat> had accused Darnell of cheating on her, and things got heated, so Darnell left alone. Okay, so this is just a little clip I took straight from the court affidavit. This is his story. The defendant stated that after leaving the residence, he went back to his residence, packed a bag, and drove to Ocean City, Maryland. The defendant stated he parked near First Street in Ocean City and took his chair to the beach to sleep. He said that when he woke up, his cell phones were missing. The defendant said that he went to Secrets and ate dinner, a restaurant there, then walked around and stayed the night sleeping on the beach, end quote. So literally nowhere in this mind-numbingly uneducated story did he mention that he went to gamble like he originally wanted wanted to do from the beginning with Olga or maybe even just mentioned that he tried to go gambling but maybe his card was declined but no absolutely zero mention of the one thing they had actually planned to do and rather he's just sitting around on a beach sleeping presumably sounds like quite the weekend just two days of napping and walking on the beach and then apparently when he decided to stop walking around the beach and leave ocean city on saturday he claimed he went to a convenience store to buy another phone to replace his missing one but when they asked for his id he didn't like that so he left and then went to a metro pcs to buy a phone there instead i don't i don't get it first of all police are like well that's just kind of a dumb excuse. Why would you drive all the way to Ocean City not to gamble, just to sit on the beach and get your phone stolen, right? Doesn't make sense. But very quickly, police were able to unearth many inconsistencies in and around his story. I honestly don't think Darnell thought that the police would actually look into his story. I'm not even sure at this point he knew security cameras existed. I kid you not. So police, they went to Ocean City and they were able to track down a few witnesses that had seen Darnell because he'd been a regular in that area. 
These witnesses told police that Sterling had mentioned being in the area with his girlfriend, but she was back in the hotel room because she didn't want to go for a walk on the beach. Another witness had seen Sterling and actually asked where Olga was because they were always together, or at least in Ocean City they were. And Darnell gave some odd reply of something along the lines of like, oh, Olga took my phone and changed our numbers and we're not talking. This is the first contradiction that police find. He told investigators originally he went to Ocean City alone, and he told witnesses in Ocean City that he was there with his girlfriend. So there's line number one. Let's move on to a little surveillance footage. Mind you, it becomes a little bit creepy, but oh well. Thursday night, right, we have video surveillance of Oga Olga Darnell and her son walking into the apartment building after dinner and getting into the elevator. And this is like midnight on Thursday, so Thursday going into Friday technically. Not long after, within an hour, I believe, the same man Darnell is seen leaving the same elevator he got into, but this time he's wearing different clothes, a different hat, and carrying a black trash bag. It says on the way out, or on the way in, excuse me, he was wearing a baseball cap, and on the way out, he was wearing a cowboy hat, along with various other changes of clothing from top to bottom. He then proceeded to get into his Passat, which was parked outside, and drove away. Now, this is where the story does somewhat make sense again, um, according to Darnell. Through license plate reader data, uh, LPR, investigators were able to tell that Darnell actually did travel in the direction of Ocean City after he left with that trash bag initially. But soon, he would return just a few hours later. A few hours later. He never ended up staying the night. And again, we see surveillance footage of Darnell re-entering the building alone using Olga's key fob to get back in. Now, the footage the footage doesn't show everything from what I've been able to decipher, but I think Darnell may have known the building a little bit better than we do because according to some articles, when he re-entered the second time, he re-entered empty-handed without anything in his hands, right? But just a little while later, he was seen on those same cameras leaving the building yet again. But this time, he was pushing what looked like a shopping cart. And inside of that shopping cart was a very large object wrapped in a blue and white blanket, roughly the same size of an adult human being. That's messed up. But the most disturbing part to me is when it was oh, it was described so just like grossly, but they mentioned... Darnell getting stuck on the elevator door, like with that small gap between the elevator and the hallway, and then rocking and shaking the cart almost like violently to get it loose. Just so overtly aggressive with this woman's dead body. He then pushed the cart out of the building and out of camera view. The only issue with this surveillance footage is that during Darnell's final interview with police, he denied being the man in that second set of clothing. But that didn't waver the police at all. They were certain they had their man. Here's my personal favorite piece of evidence that was found throughout the entire case. Investigators used a cadaver dog. Anyone want to guess this sweet puppy's name? Kylie. Her name was Kylie, and she crushed it. 
Kylie conducted several searches, both in the apartment and in Darnell's Sterling, Darnell Sterling's car. She alerted multiple times in the hallway outside of their front door and in their front bedroom and in the passenger seat of the vehicle that Sterling was driving, which was huge. God, I love dogs. So this is essentially all of the evidence that investigators now have kind of as a broad view. But also, I can't forget to mention the fact that during this entire time, Sterling had a stay away order from Olga, basically a restraining order. So whether or not he did kill her, spoiler, he did. He wasn't even supposed to be anywhere near her or her child because clearly Olga felt that she was that he was dangerous enough to pose a threat to her and her family. Only days later, on July 23rd, the D.C. police had arrested and charged 55-year-old at the time, Darnell Sterling, with second-degree murder in connection to the disappearance of his girlfriend, Olga. The trial would end up taking place in October, and the most egregious thing that happened during the trial, as I already mentioned, was when Sterling's lawyer said that the prior domestic abuse was a red herring and told the jurors to ignore it like an absolute bastard of a human being. But besides that nasty aspect, um, I want to focus on the nobody conviction part of it all. How, in this case, was the prosecution able to prove that Olga was in fact deceased and not just missing? Again, we go back to the affidavit that has absolutely every detail crammed into it. So essentially, they simply listed these reasons off, and I'm going to word for word quote them back to you as to not confuse anyone in the process or myself. Here goes. The probable cause exists to believe that Olga Oro is deceased because, one, she has not been seen nor had contact with any of her family members since she was reported missing. Two, she would not leave her young child unattended for days. Three, her cell phone is missing. It was last located at 300 Mass Ave and is no longer on. Four, her keys and apartment key fob are missing. Five, no one has seen in or around her apartment building since being reported missing, or excuse me, seen her. Six, an object wrapped in a blanket and consistent with an adult human body was taken out of the building shortly after a male entered using her missing key fob after her disappearance. Finally, a canine trained in the detection of human remains alerted to remains in the hallway immediately outside and at two areas inside Miss Oro's apartment. End quote. So I'm not exactly sure what the proper qualifications are, I guess you could say, but it seems that these were well and far away above enough to prove that Olga was, in fact, not just a missing person. She was deceased. And that may have been difficult enough um, to prove just one side of their case. But now they also, the prosecution also has to prove that Darnell was the one responsible for her death, not only that she has died. Again, I've essentially covered all the facts that point to Darnell as the only one who could have pulled this off. But one more time, let's go back to this sexy affidavit just to recap what we know. We'll do it quickly here. So this is what the prosecution laid out for the jurors again. Quote, there is probable cause to believe that Darnell Sterling, the defendant, caused the death of Olga Oro based on, one, the history of domestic violence perpetrated upon Miss Oro by the defendant. 
Two, the defendant was the last person known to be with Miss Oro before her disappearance. Three, the defendant gave numerous conflicting accounts of the circumstances surrounding her disappearance. Four, a human remains detective canine, Kylie, what, what, alerted on the front passenger seat of the defendant's car. Five, the defendant claimed that he was in Ocean City from July 17th until he returned on July 18th. However, the LPR records show that he made a return trip during the evening of July 17th, which placed him in D.C. at the time the descendant's key fob was used. So that's... Oh, and then again, I mean, the uh, shopping cart with a large human-sized object wrapped in a blanket was also a main point, but I feel like I've mentioned that a few times. And and then to wrap it all up, this was the prosecution's final theory that they laid out for the jurors at the end of it. Quote, Miss Oro's body has never been found, the DOJ said. Sterling killed Miss Oro whether her seven, while her seven-year-old son was asleep in the apartment in his own bedroom. He cleaned up the crime scene and left the building. He then returned the next night and used Miss Oro's keys to enter the building and retrieve the body from a hidden location. He then loaded the body into his car and disposed of it. Miss Oro was reported missing after her son was found wandering, wandering the apartment building. That's what the prosecution laid out for the jurors. Um, that's personally what I believe. And oh, sorry, I just thought I heard somebody walk in the door. After it was all said and done, the jurors came back on October 3rd with a verdict of guilty. Sterling was charged with second-degree murder and a related charge of contempt. Honestly, I'm I'm sure everyone was holding their breath for this one, since again, it was a no-body murder trial, and these are extremely difficult and even more rare. And now, for the final update, uh, the one I've all been waiting for. Just 10 days ago, on Friday, March 24th, Darnell Sterling was finally sentenced for his conviction of second-degree murder. He was ended up given... Wow. (laughs) He was given 27 years in prison, plus an additional five years of supervised release, if he makes it that long. Hopefully, as a 57-year-old man, he might end up just, you know dying in prison so he won't be able to get out and hurt anyone else as good as this news is we're still missing a wonderful woman and a child lost her mother parents lost their daughter still a very sad story and i want to end with a quote from olga's father that just shows the kind of human being she was no matter what evil surrounded her darnell quote she was a lovely child her father Mr. Oro told NBC Washington in a heart-wrenching interview, she never missed any of my birthdays, Father's Day. She danced with me. She challenged me. She loved me. She was just an incredible child and a loving daughter, end quote. And I think that's important to note because that's is, we're not here to talk about just Darnell. We're here to talk about the, the people that were violently taken from their families But that is the story of Olga Oro and her terribly disgusting boyfriend, Darnell Sterling. Oh, and Kylie the canine dog. We can't forget about her. Any questions? No? Okay, good. Bye-bye. Love you.